0: On this episode, a professor of biological anthropology proposes that extraterrestrials may be our distant human descendants, using time travel to visit and study us.
2: We're starting to understand that there aren't really any laws of physics that prohibit backward time travel. It gets complicated, it gets confusing. But a lot of research that I highlight in the book shows that there aren't necessarily even paradoxes in the way that we think of them. And, and I, I highlight the work of a really well-respected physicist named Igor Novikov, who developed what's now known as the Novikov self-consistency principle that shows that in visiting the past, you're not really disrupting anything. You're just becoming a part of what was already there.
0: This podcast is brought to you by Canada's decontamination specialists, Crime and Trauma Scene Cleaners. Crime and Trauma Scene Cleaners is committed to helping people when tragedy strikes. Their objective is to restore safety to an environment in the most professional and discreet manner possible. To contact Crime and Trauma Scene Cleaners, visit crimescenecleaners.ca. Call 1-866-724-0800, 1-866-724-0800, or email them at info at crimescenecleaners.ca.
3: Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serres, Pursuing the truth wherever it leads. Exposing evil and corruption. And the secret machinations of powerful elites, revealing the high strangeness beneath the surface of our supposed reality. Coming to you from his studio beneath the stairs, here's Richard Serrat.
0: Welcome to your Monday. Dr. Michael Masters is standing by from his home in Montana to discuss his remarkable theory that the entities piloting UFOs are humans from our future. It's all laid out in his new book, Identified Flying Objects, a Multidisciplinary Scientific Approach to the UFO Phenomenon. August 5th, mark this down, I'm going to be launching the Strange Planet Shop which you can access at strangeplanet.ca. And there, you'll be able to purchase limited edition t-shirts designed by a very talented illustrator, graphic artist, friend of mine in Arizona. I'll give you more details as the date approaches. But look for it. August 5th, the Strange Planet Shop at strangeplanet.ca. I've also launched a new vitamins and supplements store called Fullscript at strangeplanet.ca and I've partnered with a registered nutritional consultant and I'll be bringing her on the podcast in a few weeks to tell you more about Fullscript. In the meantime, get on up to strangeplanet.ca and again, look for the button at the bottom of the screen there that says Fullscript. Click on that and uh, check it out. Could UFOs and aliens simply be us? but from the future. In his new book, Identified Flying Objects, Dr. Michael Masters cautiously examines the premise that extraterrestrials may instead be our distant human descendants, using the anthropological tool of time travel to visit and study us in their own hominin evolutionary past. Dr. Masters is a professor of biological anthropology, specializing in human evolutionary anatomy, archaeology, and biomedicine. In the book, he explores how the persistence of long-term biological and cultural trends in human evolution may ultimately result in us becoming the ones piloting these disc-shaped craft, which are likely the very device that allow our future progeny to venture backward across the landscape of time. Moreover, these extra-tempestrials are ubiquitously described as bipedal, large-brained, hairless, human-like beings, who communicate with us in our own languages, and who possess technology advanced beyond, but clearly built upon our own. These accounts, coupled with a thorough understanding of the past and modern human condition, point to the continuation of established biological and cultural trends here on Earth, long into the distant human future. Dr. Michael Masters, welcome to Conspiracy Unlimited. How are you? I'm doing really well. Thanks for having me on. Identified Flying Objects, a Multidisciplinary Academic Approach to the UFO Phenomenon. It's described as a cautious examination, this premise that UFOs and aliens may simply be our distant human descendants. When you say cautious, just let's explore that a little bit. What do you, why are you cautious? Well, I mean, Coming from an academic background, we tend to
2: be pretty skeptical of most things until we really have some sort of solid evidence to support anything that we're investigating. And I, I guess I try to maintain that uh, critical aspect of of science and what we do in anthropology in looking at this question. So it's it's cautious in that I really try to avoid um, speculation or make claims about things that aren't something that we could know now or potentially know in the future. So it just, it kind of takes a reserved uh, approach to the whole phenomenon, I guess you could say.
0: But would it be fair to say you're at least more confident in this premise than, let's say, that we're dealing with a race of advanced extraterrestrials or that we're dealing with technology that's here now, it's simply been kept secret?
2: Well, I I don't think those are necessarily mutually exclusive I think we can have um, technologies that we uh, have, have found or that were maybe intentionally or unintentionally given to us from the future that we have been able to create ourselves and in the process and looking at that this from the context of this extra model that we also help create into the future so I think um, it, it could be both i I do take uh, a a more critical look at the question of extraterrestrials, though, or at least the humanoid extraterrestrials, just because of limitations and how, uh, really how unlikely it is that we would evolve the same types of characteristics in a different solar system with different planetary characteristics, different climate. chemical properties of the atmosphere and in the soil and and so on and so forth so so yeah i think and and to come back to your question it, it is innately a testable hypothesis that if we continue to exist into the future uh and we become these these time travelers that we would eventually be them and, and therefore uh test the hypothesis but in looking out Into outer space that you just don't have that same ability there there could always be something out there um but whether or not we find it whether it exists at the same time as us again coming back to that that issue of the human-like characteristics whether or not they would develop those i feel that those are all much more difficult questions
0: so to your point that they're not these three i mentioned uh including your hypothesis these three possibilities are not mutually exclusive the The reports of insectoid type uh, creatures or reptilian type creatures that have been seen by some uh, allegedly seen by some uh, contactees uh, th- those would then i guess would argue in favor of the, the the extraterrestrial hypothesis because obviously they bear little if any resemblance to to humans
2: yeah i mean i I'm not trying to claim that that I evolved. The answers, or that um, that this model explains everything. I do think it does a pretty good job explaining most aspects of this phenomenon. But I'm I'm certainly not trying to say that that this is it, and there's no possibility of life on other planets. There most certainly is uh, life teeming throughout the universe. Um, but, but in looking at this phenomenon specifically, and especially the humanoid forms, the ones that are very similar to us in our morphology and our behaviors and our technology, just at a slightly more advanced level, um, would seem to indicate a time travel explanation over that of an extraterrestrial civilization visiting us. But you're right, the ones that, that deviate from that, um, I think potentially we could understand it and what I refer to in the book as temporal ancestry um, in the same way that we have different ancestral groups here on earth now uh, who have characteristics that differ among one another because of where they evolved, sub-Saharan Africa, benefited from having darker skin, lighter skin as you go away from the equator, etc. In that same vein, it's possible that these Beings that look so different from ourselves, it, it could be an aspect of temporal ancestry, where they've just—they're coming from a point in the future that's so far removed from our own that their their evolution has taken them to a place that makes them less recognizable. And and the analogy I oftentimes use is if you went back in time a hundred years, the people there wouldn't think that you looked any different from them. You go back a hundred thousand years, or Five million years. And now you start to look much more like these strange alien beings with bigger heads, bigger eyes, smaller faces, um, less hair, and all of these traits that that we describe uh, for the most part in these these uh, encounters, these ET encounters.
0: Let's talk a little bit about the physics of time and time travel. Uh, you know, we have we have proven that traveling to the future uh, even if you know we're only talking about nanoseconds is is possible that's been tested with the atomic clocks and so forth mm-hmm. traveling backwards uh, has proven to be a bit of a conundrum i I'm not sure if I'm correct on this but I I thought that Einstein had pretty well ruled that out I might be I might be mistaken but let's just talk a, a little bit about the physics of traveling back in time I mean and how, achievable that is and on what sort of timeline
2: right um einstein wasn't really uh against it most of the work that most of the work in in studying the physics of time travel actually grew out of his field equations associated with general relativity uh 1915 paper that he published and and it wasn't long after that um that we started to see the possibility of of creating what are known as closed time-like curves. And and some of the early research uh, associated with this, um, Van Stockham initially, Godel, uh, Tipler with Tipler cylinders was one of the first uh, solutions that didn't require something to be infinitely large. Uh, the previous researchers I mentioned, that was an aspect of their their model, their calculations. But... But even in more recent studies, we're starting to understand that that there aren't really any laws of physics that prohibit backward time travel. It gets complicated. It gets confusing. Um, but a lot of research that I highlight in the book shows that there aren't necessarily even paradoxes in the way that we think of them. And, and I, I highlight the work of a really well-respected physicist named Igor Novikov, who developed what's now known as the Navikov self-consistency principle that shows that in visiting the past, uh, you're not really disrupting anything. You're just becoming a part of what was already there. Um, anything that you do in that past as perceived by you as coming from the future was already a part of that past before you ever even left from the future to go and visit whatever time period you were visiting that predates your own present. So, And, and this has been shown with a, a number of different models, very well-respected physicists, um, both in, in modern physics and, and quantum physics have shown a lot of these same things. So, so no, if, if there's not really anything in the laws of physics that prohibit it, it's really just a matter of time until we figure out the details of, of how that might take place. And you're right, going into the future is easy. You just have to travel at a very high rate of speed relative to the speed of light or sit next to uh, a massive uh, gravitational field uh, like you said, we've even identified this because of the gravitational field of Earth and the, the slow movement of planes with atomic clocks and how they, they read different numbers after these, these experiments. So um, if, if we get to the point where we understand time and we really start to understand uh, gravity, and, and especially quantum gravity, I think is going to be the next big big step. I think once we start to see that, it probably won't be too long before we begin to unravel the mysteries of of backward time travel as well.
0: Now, I'm going to really oversimplify things here that I tend to do that, but uh, particularly not coming from a strong science background, but it would in my small reptilian brain, it would stand a reason that if you're going to travel backwards in time, you would have you could only travel so so far back as when time travel was possible. In other words, if you have a device capable of time travel, You've got to turn it on. And so if you turn that device on in 2021, that means you in the future you could only travel back as far as 2021. So where am I thinking – where's my thinking going wrong here?
2: Oh, it's not necessarily. That's That's been something that's been proposed and talked about quite a lot. And um, I talk about it in the book as well and cite uh, another one of my favorite physicists named Paul Davies – who, when I was growing up, his book about time was very instrumental and in kind of getting me more interested in this field and, and really trying to, to get some level of understanding that I could build upon and in looking into this question uh, further. And, and yeah, that's something that, that he mentions in that book and others have mentioned as well, that potentially we may only be able to travel back in time to the point at which a time machine was initially created. Um, though other criticisms of that uh, also exist and and one in particular is that if you're traveling backward in time what you're doing is changing your position in local space-time and arriving at a different point in global space-time and and as those become separated and as you in your rapidly rotating highly electromagnetic disc that's that's able to create these tom- closed time like curves, as you're doing that and you're separating yourself from global space-time, it, it almost seems like that question becomes irrelevant. How, how would you or your, your time machine know it's supposed to just begin to disappear or uh, fall apart and go into its original pieces as it nears that point in global space-time in which a time machine was first created? So, And, and that's that's just one of many issues related to, to that criticism. But it it does need to be acknowledged. I'm actually glad you brought it up, um, and it's it, it's out there. It's um, one potential limitation to backward time travel that should absolutely be considered.
0: I gather, though, since these time travelers are traveling in these these discs, that that has something to do with the the method of of time travel. It's not just a vehicle, because otherwise, you know, they would just be walking amongst us. But yet, they choose to to arrive here in these in these vehicles. So, is the the vehicle then the 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 uh, the time traveling device itself?
2: Well, that's what I argue in the book. Sure, I think I, I, I cite a common idiom in in biology that form follows function, and you can see this and looking at the structure of. Looking at my feet, so I'll just use my feet as an example right now. But if you look at the structure of the foot and the way the different bones and muscles are oriented, and the arch that's in the foot, um, you can see that it it's very well suited for this uh, form of locomotion that we have, our bipedal, upright, walking form of locomotion. And you could say the same for almost any structure in any organism. But in looking at at these flying saucers, these disc-shaped creatures. Craft, as they're most commonly described and, and there are variations in the way these craft are described in the same way that there's variation in how the beams themselves are described but, but if we look at this sort of archetypal form of a, a rotating disc like craft and if you look at the, the research that's been done in physics regarding how we might bend light cones back upon themselves and a light cone is just all of the possible uh, things that can happen within the boundaries of light, which is the 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 boundary of the universe, nothing can go faster than that. So at any moment, you have this this cone of light radiating out, as you can think of it. Um, so that that's what essentially is our future, how we perceive our future within the boundaries of this light cone. Anything possible exists within that. So in order to go back in the past, we have to reorient those light cones toward the past. And most of the the models um, that have come out of Einstein's initial field equation since 1915 have almost ubiquitously involved some sort of uh, massive or highly energetic rotating disk. And and you see that in these craft. I, I think they're absolutely for propulsion and, and carrying um, these these future humans, not just through time, but also through space. Um, and I go into more detail about why that's important in the book regarding how you actually get deep into the past. Um, and But but one common characteristic is that they are uh, highly electromagnetic, that, that compass spin wildly and car radios and entire cars will turn down as they approach because of this high electromagnetic field. So I think that's an important part of their propulsion system, how they levitate without propulsion without jets or without rotating uh, blades like we have in helicopters. But I think it's also an important aspect of how they actually achieve, achieve backward time travel. Because with with the electromagnetic force, it's it's actually much, much stronger than gravity. We think of gravity as being very strong because it holds us to the earth and it keeps the earth uh, near the sun and, and so on and so forth. But but the electromagnetic force is actually 10 to the 40 times Stronger than gravity. So if if you could harness that power not just for propulsion, but also um, To to create these same sort of gravitational Warping effects where space-time can be bent uh, Not not by the gravitational force of something like a black hole or neutron star, but by this electromagnetic force uh, you might be able to create these same sort of of future light cone reorienting closed time light curve creating uh, processes without having to create a singularity or or have a mass equivalent to a black hole, for instance. Uh,
0: it it sounds like Einstein's unified field theory achieved. Is that fair to say?
2: I I think I think it's going to require that. Yeah, um, we're we're going to need we're going to need to meld uh, quantum field theory with general relativity. There's no doubt about that. I think there's pretty broad consensus among physicists that we need. Uh, if not a theory of everything, at least a theory of quantum gravity.
0: Some have speculated that that we sort of stumbled upon that in uh, 1943 with the Philadelphia experiment. Do you have any thoughts on that? You know, elements of time travel there with this uh, naval destroyer escort sort of s- appearing to flit in and out of uh, reality, appear... Uh, one moment in the Philadelphia Harbor and then the next in Norfolk, Virginia, and then back again and so forth. What are your, Do you have any thoughts on that?
2: Uh, I do remember looking into that uh, briefly when I was researching the book, but I I didn't really go deep enough down that rabbit hole that I think I'd be able to offer any sort of insights. But But one thing I will mention just from what you stated, that if things are appearing and disappearing – uh, in front of your eyes, as we perceive them, moving linearly through time, then that would be an indication that that thing is changing its position in the only other observable dimension, the fourth dimension of time. So, so yeah, I talk about that quite a bit in the book as another aspect of these craft, these disc-shaped craft, where they're they're very commonly seen just instantly appearing before us or or disappearing. Uh, sometimes in formation with other ones around them, and that that is certainly something you would expect of a a machine capable of moving in and out of our particular reference frame. What, what's considered the present, even though it's not necessarily thought of as a real thing or something quantifiable. But but as we perceive the present or now, uh, if something just instantly appears uh, in in the space around us, then then it's a good indication that it probably changed its position in time.
0: So talk to me then about time travel as an anthropological tool.
2: Oh, wow, that'd be amazing um, that's yeah, that's something I think about a lot when I'm doing digs is is just how much more we could learn from going back to the time period when these uh, these different hominin species or even historic civilizations, prehistoric civilizations, when these people existed because um, what we have. In anthropology, and especially archaeology, is that we're left with the material culture. Uh, the things like the artifacts and the features. Features are just large structures or immovable uh, remnants of the past. The artifacts which people are more familiar with are the things that people produce that are typically portable, um, like projectile points, arrowheads, uh, swords, things like that. so so that's what we're left with. That's all we have to really understand past peoples, and then we're left to infer, a lot from those things. What did it mean to them? What did they use it for? How was it important to their their civilization or their social or political structure? And, and that gets a little contentious, uh, not just within the field of archaeology, but even looking at, at, at the, the field of ufology and all of the different theories about ancient civilizations and potential contact or influence or, or what have you but even within the anthropological field, just because of the limitation and what we have access to in this material culture, we we there's a lot of just unanswered questions. But having the ability to travel back in time would give you so much more data and so much more information that you could use to really truly understand our past. And especially the farther back you go, it would be even more important because things are innately lost through time. It's just an aspect of the passage of time and things getting buried deeper or broken or shifted or, or what have you. So being able to go back to those specific times when these people existed, when things were happening, uh, we would have unbounded knowledge about our hominin past. It would be amazing.
0: Right. So for example, earlier today, I was interviewing someone about the pyramids and he has a theory that they were constructed as water pumps and they were producing electricity uh, and but you know, a lot of this is is speculation as you as you point out. But that means that these gaps in knowledge that we have right now, ultimately, assuming our ancestors traveled back and and determined the truth about these events, all of these things are knowable and will be revealed. For example, I would travel back to find out was Jesus crucified? Was he raised from the dead three days later? I mean, that would be knowable, right? These, the yeah. answers to all of the the questions that we have ultimately will be revealed to us.
2: Yeah, I mean, you see that even now, as soon as an event happens, there's instantly people interpreting it in different ways, almost to the extent that there's very different ideas about what happened at that moment, something that we can see now and that we have video evidence for, we can break it down, we can analyze. But yeah, going back into the past, those things are much more obscure. And, and, and I think that's another thing that links us to these future humans and could potentially be considered evidence for them as extratempestrials as time-traveling humans, because the things that they do to us in these reports of close encounters, and especially abduction reports, are very, very, very similar to what I would do as a paleoanthropologist, a biological anthropologist, if I had access to this technology, I would be taking uh, skin samples, hair samples, uh, semen samples, which is commonly reported, fecal samples, which could potentially be where the infamous anal probe aspect of this phenomenon comes from. And 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 you could learn not just about their biology, but also their culture. Um, even with outside of the abduction cases, there's so many instances of just seeing these craft hovering near clouds or kind of trying to stay out of view, but still still being witnessed from time to time where they're potentially just observing us or, or it's potentially tourism. It's time tourism where people paid money to come back, but were, are strictly forbidden from overtly interacting with the past, but are still able to see these things. And, and like you said, everybody has a particular time period that they would be interested in learning more about to know if what we hear today is accurate based on what actually happened at those times.
0: And they would also obviously be concerned about the present because uh, we have to get from the present to the future. Uh, otherwise, you know, their own destruction is is at hand. So that might explain uh, UFO sightings over n- uh, nuclear missile sites, which we had, you know, a spate of them back in the late 1960s and reports that these uh, UFOs were were essentially uh Turning these these uh, nuclear disarming these nuclear missiles for a short time.
2: Yeah, I actually gave a talk um, just a couple weeks ago up near the Maelstrom Air Force Base in uh, in Montana, northern Montana, and that was one of those places where it just shut down for I, I don't remember the exact amount of time, but nobody could figure out why, and they eventually um, deduced that it was some sort of large electromagnetic interference or or pulse i think is what they refer to it as but but yeah there's there's tons of those and 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 why would they care you know if they weren't stakeholders in in our own existence or our own future then it doesn't seem like they would really necessarily care what we do um but but you hear that a lot in different reports where people are being told take care of your planet or um you know something about nuclear weapons or nuclear holocaust and there's even that um i I don't know a lot about it but i think the the meeting between was it truman or or eisenhower somebody where he he stole away and oh that was eisenhower
0: at the edwards air force base right? yeah
2: that's what it was where he allegedly met with them and and was told you got to stop blowing up these nukes because it's destroying the planet. And then very shortly after that, we stopped nuclear testing in the same capacity we've been doing it in. So so yeah, I mean, there's, there's that potential where they could be trying to not necessarily manage, but at least keep tabs on the things that we're doing and how that might affect their future existence on the same planet.
0: More of my conversation with Dr. Michael Masters when Conspiracy Unlimited returns.
1: This podcast is sponsored by Cloud Optimizer.
0: As a business owner or IT manager, are your cloud investment costs going up and you don't know why? It's time for Cloud Optimizer. As you migrate your business to the cloud, what you're spending and why you're spending it can get a little hazy. But Cloud Optimizer clears up the mystery and puts the cloud to work for you. Make the cloud work for you
1: with Cloud Optimizer. Get a free assessment and find out how much you can save by going to cloudoptimizer.com. Go to cloudoptimizer.com for your free assessment. That's
0: cloudoptimizer.com. Every town has a dark side. This is Andrew Fitzgerald from the Every Town podcast, where every single week we dive into insane and mysterious true crime stories, most of which you've never heard of. Stories like the bizarre disappearance of Tyler Davis in Columbus, Ohio, a 29-year-old father trying to find his way back to his hotel when he disappeared and was never heard from again, and Elizabeth Shoeff from Lugoff, South Carolina, who was abducted from her driveway by a madman and taken to his underground bunker in the woods. We give you all the details you're interested in hearing about without any fluff or fillers, because ain't nobody got time for that. Cover everything from psychopaths to poltergeists. So go check out the Everytown podcast because every town, no matter how nice it may seem, has a dark side. If you're a fan of this podcast or my weekly radio program, The Conspiracy Show, or my YouTube channel, Strange Planet, I hope you'll consider becoming an official donor. A donation of $50 a month places you in the star chamber. a month is the whistleblower tier and a donation of just $10 per month makes you a truth seeker. Star Chamber and Whistleblower members can participate in an exclusive monthly online chat or video conference with me and all donors are entered into a monthly draw for Strange Planet merchandise. Any monthly amount is welcome and greatly appreciated. To become an official donor, go to patreon.com forward slash strange planet patreon.com forward slash strange planet
3: Theoretical physicists say that there's as many as twelve hyper dimensions. Here are just three of them. Conspiracy Unlimited. Conspiracy Unlimited. Conspiracy Unlimited. Pretty cool, huh? Uh, Here's an extra one. Conspiracy Unlimited. Hey, how about one more? Conspiracy Unlimited. And the great thing is we have six hyperdimensions left. Conspiracy Unlimited. Five. Or something like that. I'll ask Richard later.
0: Dr. Michael Masters, the author of Identified Flying Objects, is here. It would seem, I mean, if they have the, the technology to travel backwards in time, one would assume they also have technology to shield the Earth from other cataclysmic type of, uh, events like a, an asteroid collision. We hear about these, you know, killer, planet killer asteroids that are, cl- you know, passing in, you know, relatively close proximity. And, and, and there are others out there that they don't have a bead on. So, I mean, that bodes well, I suppose, for our future. Sure. Yeah, I mean, even now, I think we could probably,
2: with with what must seem to them like very primitive technology, we could probably still intervene, I would think, um, given our, again, the nuclear technologies that we have, explosive capabilities. We landed um, that Philae lander on a comet just a couple few years ago, so we're clearly able to intercept rapidly moving celestial bodies. And I think with, with the right um, team of engineers and physicists, we could probably even do that now. At least I'd hope to think that would be a terrible way to die if all of a sudden an asteroid came slamming into the Earth like it did 65 million years ago.
0: A, a number of years ago, I interviewed two British authors who wrote a book uh, called Who Built the Moon?, and I'm not sure if you're familiar with it, but that was – their premise was that the moon – because, you know, without the moon uh, being exact – in the exact location, the exact diameter, I mean, it's just extraordinary uh, the precision with which the moon would have had to be constructed in order for li- life to, to be, you know, possible on Earth. And so they posited this idea that it, it, it was in fact built – uh, by by um, people in our in our future what do you think about that? Well I think it would be
2: difficult I mean you'd have to get the materials for that planet from somewhere and and we do have pretty good evidence that that one of these large planet destroying um, asteroids did actually knock off a big chunk of the earth some. Many billion years ago, during early um, early formation of the solar system, and that the moon just collected outside because of gravity, attracting that that debris as it was knocked off of the earth. So so I, I think I think in most cases, and this goes for interpretations of of civilizations and, and the past in general, where, where if we have a good scientific understanding of it, it's, it's always interesting to entertain other ideas, but I, I don't think that we would necessarily need that explanation based on what we do know about the way moons are formed and what likely happened with our own moon but I think um, I think it's it's interesting to entertain those things I, I also think it would be difficult to get the moon to then travel back in time like i I can understand how these craft would be able to to warp space-time enough to do this, but if you're going to transport something as large as this thing that you construct in the future, I, I think it would be very difficult to get that to move through space-time and be placed uh, at some point in our, our ancient past.
0: What does this mean, do you suppose, for the, this whole disclosure um, uh, movement? Uh, would, would it be in the best interest of time-traveling humans, our our ancestors, uh, would it be in their interest for this to be divulged? Well, that's an interesting question. Um, I guess
2: at some point, yeah, I mean if 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 they are indeed us from the future, and we clearly haven't quite been ready for disclosure, the HG. Wells broadcast is often cited as an example of that. No that, that really wasn't that long ago when that happened. Um, but I do feel like we're getting closer to the point that we could begin to understand this phenomenon as a, a human civilization. And it does seem to be happening things that are going on now with relation to disclosure do seem to be different than those of the past. And, and, and yeah, I think they would benefit tremendously from that because if they are having to tiptoe around or only observe us from the skies on cloudy days and things like that. If, if we knew who they were and why they were here, it could potentially give them the freedom to interact with us much more overtly. And, and I mentioned in the later chapters of the book where I talk about some of the potential implications of this, that, that at some point in the future it's possible that we could interact with people from different times in the same way that we now interact with people from different continents, different countries throughout the world. It, it would on, obviously have to be a post-disclosure scenario before that happens. Um, but I think if it did, it, it could really benefit them. It could benefit us, especially people. I've had so many people read the book and come up to me and say, you know, this, this makes a lot of sense. This is explained really well. One of my favorite parts is that I used to be afraid of aliens I used to be scared of extraterrestrials invading us but but after reading this book that that seems absurd why would why would that ever happen? Why would our future human descendants come back and kill us when their very existence is dependent on our continued existence? so um yeah there's there's a lot of a lot of things like that what what would happen with time travel technology? what are the implications? and I think that's potentially one of them is that, it would give them the freedom to study their past much more openly and um, not have to do it in such a covert way, which seems to be indicative of what's happening
0: now. Have you seen Yesterday yet? No. Is that a movie? Yes. Uh, about a, a series. It's you know it's a a movie about this uh, this massive global wide power outage, uh, and when the lights come on, uh, it's almost like a. Um, uh, what's that phenomenon? Oh, the Mandela effect, where uh, yeah. the past has changed, and so nobody knows who the Beatles were except this one fellow. And so he decides to cash in on that, and he starts playing all of these yeah. Beatles songs. And uh, there's a scene there where he uh, he actually meets a couple other people who do remember the Beatles, and he's petrified that they're going to out him, but in actually, in actual fact, they're grateful. That he's keeping the Beatles' music alive, and they hand him a note. I, a bit of a uh, a um, disclaimer here, but uh, give away a bit of the ending. But he he actually uh, on this piece of paper, it's John Lennon's address. He goes to meet John Lennon, but of course Lennon didn't meet Paul McCartney, and mm-hmm. uh, you know, but and he, so he 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 didn't he didn't become famous and therefore he wasn't targeted for assassination and so he just yeah. lived his life as a normal you know he, he was a sailor a merchant marine or something living yeah. in, in liverpool but i'm just you know i'm wondering <laughs> whether when it why wouldn't these time travelers have had the, the presence of mind to uh to stop by uh, 72nd uh, and and central park west and start stop mark david chapman on december 8th 1980
2: right yeah I- I I do know what you're talking about, actually. My kids recently started watching that show, and, and it came up in a conversation that we had about whether or not the Beatles... A lot of things that happened at that time were important to their success. And, yeah, I don't know if it could just be created later. In any case, um, that's a whole other issue. But But, yeah, it's an interesting premise and certainly one that... That needs to be considered in the context of of backward time travel because I, I mentioned self consistency and and uh, what might happen if you go back in time and how there's not really any sort of change as we think of it that things remain inherently self consistent when you act, interact with the past. But but if you look at the, the the many worlds interpretation of quantum mechanics, they they advocate that they're there's the potential for entering different dimensions. Um, again, we need a better understanding of of quantum gravity before we can really truly understand that aspect of it. I, I mostly stick with um, with the general relativity side of things um, until we have more evidence of actual other dimensions, especially other universes. But that is that is an aspect of that model it's that we 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 shift. Into another dimension, another world, um, based on I- any sort of change, uh, disruption, um, where an observation, a wave function collapse type scenario, and um, and and yeah, going back in time could potentially trigger that sort of Sure, going sort of back and,
0: and killing uh, Hitler when he was a baby and preventing the yeah. Second World War and the you know the the Holocaust yeah. and so forth. Uh, I mean, a, a time traveler uh, from the future would have to have, I would think, um, you know, a, a long list of protocols, <laughs> you know, of non-interference, although, you know, right. as you're saying, yeah. maybe, maybe not. Um what about the theory that people like Richard Dolan, a respected ufologist and historian, mainly an historian, talks about the idea of a, a breakaway human civilization now that have had access to well, what some would call alien technology, you might say technology from our time-traveling ancestors. Uh, in other words, they're using the technology for their benefit. They have the technology now, and so they they, in fact, constitute a breakaway civilization. So they have access theoretically to time travel and uh, and who knows what else any any thoughts on that that the the technology is being used in this present time
2: yeah I, I guess I don't really know what a breakaway civilization refers to in particular but the the idea as a whole I think certainly makes a lot of sense that that if we were granted access to technology that exists in a more advanced state than our own, we instantly have information about the future that helps create that same future. And, and, and this is oftentimes seen as a paradox too, and really it's not. Uh, it's an aspect of the consistency paradoxes where, where say for instance the crash that took place in Roswell in 1947 was indeed our future human descendants. The technology that was granted to the U.S. government at that time, if they can reverse engineer that and figure out the properties of these craft and their propulsion system and eventually time travel capabilities, then the people in the future didn't really create it because it was made by those from the past that that were granted this information, that were granted this craft, but at the same time, the people in the past didn't because it came from the future and crashed into that past. And, and that's often seen as a conundrum, but that, that mostly has to do with our our outdated ideas of linear time and uh, uh, a past cause leading to a future effect. But in the context of uh, time travel, and especially in the context of a um, a backward time travel device, those aren't really issues in the same way. Navikov used to say basically that the future can dictate events that take place in the past because none of them, the future, present, or past, are, are really separate. They're all one. Right, and the ever-present are, are now. Ahead of. Yeah, mm. yeah, exactly, the ever-present now. And none of them are ahead of or behind the other in the presence of a time machine, Re- regardless of when that time machine was constructed uh, could certainly be very distant in the future, but because they have that technology, they can potentially fill us in on uh, who they are and what they've been doing at any point. We might not have to wait tens of thousands of years to find out if we become them or not. Once we have uh, full disclosure, if this is actually the scenario, then they could fill us in on that at any time. But no, I certainly think that if technology is moving from the future to the past, it's, it's going to have some impact on that past and in helping to shape that future so so yeah i don't i don't really uh think that that's outlandish at all i think that certainly makes sense and some have even argued that certain technologies that have come out over recent decades may have uh, sprung from things that we learned in 1947 it starts to get a little speculative once you get into that area of it but it's certainly a possibility
0: well it's interesting I've, I've talked to a lot of inventors inventors over the years and and one of the common things common traits is they all talk about first it's invented in the dream world whatever device they are working on i mean tesla sort of alluded to that other inventors i've talked to have talked about first you invented in the dream <laughs> world which you yeah. know it, it, it again speculation but it kind of hints at maybe you know this is coming to them from some other time yeah
2: yeah, and especially if consciousness is unbounded by space and time in the same way that our physical form is, if consciousness transcends that, um, then yeah, I don't see why it, it wouldn't be possible for some aspects of future states to be communicated um, and with to to these individuals in the past. That's certainly a possibility.
0: Final question: How has identified flying objects uh, been received? Uh, let's say, let's call it the UFO community, uh, for lack of a better term, but th- and those that are heavily invested in that, well, not heavily invested, but certainly emotionally invested in the idea that, that we are being visited upon by extraterrestrials, we may, in fact, even be the seeds of extraterrestrials. How how do they look at this book?
2: Uh, yeah, it's been really interesting. Um I I wasn't aware that there was such a division within the UFO community until um, well, as before the book came out, but around the time I started to talk about this theory and uh, the research behind it. But I was yeah, I was interested to see that there's a division. I wouldn't even call it so much one um, between those that that really want an extraterrestrial model and those that don't because there are uh, quite a few it's been incredible how many people have also thought about this um, the same possibility that there's just us in the future and a lot of um really intelligent people working on this writing about this talking about this Um, so so i think i think it's not necessarily that divide between time or space it's also the, the, the big division that I see is between those that really love speculation and those that are trying to stay more rooted in a a scientific approach, a more grounded approach based on evidence and statistics and things that we can know. So, so yeah, it's been, it's been tremendously well received among those that do try to maintain more of a scientific perspective. I, I got invited to speak at the MUFON fiftieth anniversary conference here in a couple of weeks, and the International UFO Congress in Phoenix, and and those those organizations, t- to at least in my perspective, tend to be a little more grounded, or at least trying to really assess different reports and and what they mean, how reliable they are, things like that. So, so yeah, I've 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 been, it's I, th- I feel like it's really been embraced and and taken seriously by many and, and others who prefer the more speculative aspects of this and being able to just say whatever or uh, embrace whichever speculative ideas popular at the time, it's, it's been, I wouldn't say criticized, but just more ignored, I think would be the word I would use.
0: Well, one of the things I like best about identified flying objects and the idea that aliens could simply be us in the future is that it means that we in fact do have a future.
2: I know it's encouraging. It?
0: I'll say yes, <laughs> they couldn't say.
2: exist without us going forward. So yeah, it, it, who knows what will happen between now and then. Um, but it, yeah, it's it's encouraging because it does seem to indicate that we'll we'll at least keep going for a while.
0: How do people get a copy of identified flying objects, Michael?
2: Well, the best way is through my website. Um, it's just an abbreviated version of the title IDFLYOBJ. Which stands for idflyobj.com, um, and there's there's links to all of the different places. It's on Amazon, of course, but also Google Books and and Barnes and Noble. And there's an audiobook as well that you can get through Audible or uh, iTunes, which has been pretty popular. I think people enjoy being able to to get the information without having to stumble over. Big words, and I, and I try to explain them well in the book. I don't feel like people get hung up, but you don't have to take that extra time because somebody's just reading it to you. So it, it's been pretty popular, I think, for that reason. But it, it's available on essentially all of the the major platforms.
0: idflyobj.com, but I'll include the link in the episode notes so people can just click okay. on that as well.
2: Yeah, thanks. It's kind of a weird web address. I'll I'll, I'll be the first to admit that. <laughs> Not the best one, but it gets the job well, done, I guess.
0: Idiosyncratic, and sometimes those are the most memorable. Michael, uh, this has been yeah, memorable. I guess so. Memorable. It's a good one. Uh, great meeting you. Thank you so much.
2: Yeah, thank you. It's been great being on. Appreciate you
0: having me. Okay, before I dim the lights in my little studio beneath the stairs, I'll be right back with a few words about the next episode of Conspiracy Unlimited. Hey, this is Tony Merkel, host of The Confessionals, a blog talk radio podcast that brings you weekly interviews with eyewitness accounts of strange and unexplained events. From paranormal activity to UFO encounters to Bigfoot sightings, step into The Confessionals as we explore mysterious real-life stories. Check us out on your favorite podcast app or theconfessionalspodcast.com.
3: Many thanks to Conspiracy Unlimited for having me on the air. I'll see you all on The Confessionals.
0: Coming up Wednesday in episode 256, is another civil war in the United States imminent? And if so, which side would be victorious? But the problem is in the type of warfare that this would be, this is not two armies just lining up against each other and seeing who has bigger firepower. Uh, This is fourth generation warfare. It's very hard for, I mean, who do you shoot at? Who do you aim your huge weaponry at? How do you tell a civilian from a civilian that is a rebel. Until then, I'm Richard Serrett. So long for now.
3: A new Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett drops every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at conspiracyunlimitedpodcast.com. Blow your mind. That is all for now.